you desire to attend Bible college or seminary, but know that it would be incredibly difficult to uproot your family and move somewhere? Maybe you desire to attend seminary, but you don't want to leave your local congregation. Let me tell you about my seminary, Whitfield Theological Seminary. Whitfield is a conservative, confessional, classical, reformed seminary who wants to come alongside congregations and assist them in raising up a pastor. The training of a minister should be done alongside of a congregation. Whitfield offers online classes so that you can fulfill your calling without having to move your family or abandon your church. Go check them out at www.reformed.info. That is www.reformed.info. Tell them you heard about them on The Daily Brew. We at The Daily Brew take the Bible and the study of it very seriously. Have you ever wondered where we or our special guests go when we want to dive into God's Word more deeply? We go to Logos, the best Bible software available. From in-depth word studies in the original languages to commentaries from scholars, both new and old. There are lexicons and grammars and sermons and collected works of heroes of the faith. And even ancient texts for the serious Bible students. Never before has so many great tools been bundled together into one software. To learn more about this incredible ministry, call 888-390-7341. That's 888-390-7341. While you're there, go ahead and tell them that you heard about this incredible software on The Daily Brew. Listen up, Daily Brew subscribers and listeners. I want to tell you about our newest partner, Audio Blocks and Video Blocks. They're an incredible resource if you're looking for background footage, background audio. We use them for all our video and audio uh, needs. If you're needing background clips, if you're needing short footage for any video that you're making for your business or your church, or just looking for background noises for putting something together, they have everything you need, a huge selection. You have to go check them out. Go check them out at audioblocks.com or videoblocks.com. Are you looking for something fun to do on these hot summer days? Are you looking for something fun for the whole family? Go check out Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies. This has been rated the number one aquarium in the country. If you're looking to waddle with the penguins or sleep with the sharks, this is the place for you. For an up-close view, check out their glass-bottom boat. Ripley's Aquarium in the Smokies has something for the whole family. For more information, go to ripleyaquariums.com. You are busy. You are always on the go. But are you making time for you? The Y is dedicated to helping you stay active, live better, and find the best possible version of you. From basketball courts to functional training space, indoor pools, and yoga studios, the best of Knoxville is right in your backyard. Group classes and personal trainers that will challenge and encourage you. The Y has something for everyone. Join the Y and get unlimited access to all five locations. From the heart of downtown Knoxville to Farragut and Halls, all with no contracts. For a better us.
This is The Daily Brew. You're here with Daniel Hyde. He is the author and pastor of several different books. Uh, The one we're going to be discussing today is God in Our Midst. This book discusses the relationship between uh, the tabernacle of the Old Testament uh, and Israel, but also um, its relationship to the church. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much for taking the time to join our show. Yeah, it's a pleasure. One of the first questions I want to ask is, why was the tabernacle significant, and what was uh, its meaning in the life of, of Israel? Why, why did it matter to the people of Israel? Yeah, great question. Um the simplest answer would be that uh, it was the way that God was present with uh, his children as he uh, led them out of Egypt and so through the wilderness for those 40 years. So obviously God is everywhere. God is omnipresent. You know, God is spirit. Uh, it's not contained and so forth. Um, and, and of course, you know, the, the Lord interacts with his people throughout the book of Genesis Um but, in particular, when the Lord uh, meets with, with Moses uh, at the burning bush, and then as he leads the people out, there's a pillar of cloud and fire. Uh, you know, these are uh, obviously, you know, dramatic, uh, you know, awe-inspiring, um, fearful in a good sense, uh, uh, ways in which God is present and interacts. You know, Moses takes off his feet, he bows down to the ground. Uh, and so forth, but when the Lord wants to dwell among His people uh, in those in that in that wilderness, especially as they you know, as they rebel and so forth, so for 40 years, um, He does it through the means of uh, the tabernacle. Uh, and so, one of the things I try to point out uh, in the book is that uh, uh, one of the interesting sort of theological, biblical theological uh, things to see is that. Um, you know, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, they, they dwell in tents, Hebrews 11 says, so they, uh, they're, they're pilgrims, and so when the Israelites, when they leave uh, their homes in Egypt, they live in tents in the wilderness, and so when God wants to dwell amongst his people, uh, he also, uh, you know, camps, as it were, uh, with them uh, in, a, in a portable tent. So uh, it was the way that God was present, and it's really interesting, you know, practical sort of uh, you know, touching way that he does that. I mean, obviously there's fire and, and there's glory, but uh, he, he's also, you know, in this tent alongside of his pilgrim people. This is very helpful. Next question I want to ask is uh, several scholars, G.K. Bill, for instance, has uh, in his book, uh, The Temple and the Mission of God, has made several comparisons between uh, the tabernacle, the temple, and uh, also the Garden of Eden. Um, could you explain, uh, and, and if you hold to this position, uh, maybe a generic answer on why there is a connection or similarity between the tabernacle, uh, the temple, and the Garden of Eden, and what's that significance? Yeah, um, same thing uh, in my book on the tabernacle, you know, bring out some of the, some of those themes, um, you know, in terms of uh, the, the curtain that separates uh, the people from the Lord, and then there's also another curtain, the great curtain that separates, you know, the, the first room, the holy place, from the second room, the most holy. There's a large... Uh, cherubim, a, a, a cherub, a large angel that's you know woven into it uh, to remind them and to sort of point back to Genesis three, where 
the Lord places that angel at the gate or at the entrance to the uh, to the garden uh, with a flaming sword. We're told that's going to and fro. So um, that that language and that imagery of uh, you know, there, there's an angel here, this is the presence of God, uh, but it's also guarding uh, the presence of God, just like in, in Eden. Uh, there's all the colors that are used and similar materials that are mentioned in, the, in Genesis 2 with the garden, and um, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's trees uh, and fruit and all, all the imagery that's woven into the, the actual curtains on the inside of the tabernacle. Um, the outside of the tabernacle just looks like an ordinary tent, you know, animal skins, but on the inside there's this glory and uh, you know, smoke and there's, and there's, uh, there's light. Uh, and the direction that it faces, um, the, uh, it's going, uh, uh, if you were in, entering into the tabernacle, uh, you would go from east towards the west, uh, which is uh, biblical uh, uh, theology of uh, going, you know, from east of Eden, from exile, going towards uh, the presence of God, just like uh, Adam's kicked out the opposite direction, so it's it's an image of going back into God's presence uh, to be with Him and to have fellowship with Him. Um, so you know those are kind of some of the the, the quick things that uh, people point out that that show that it has sort of this garden uh, idea. I mean, and obviously the, the big idea would be you know again that God is present. Uh, it's a place of God's dwelling, uh, just like Eden was. But there are particular details that, that bring that out. That is incredibly interesting. I love seeing connections uh, throughout all of Scripture and how uh, all these things uh, do relate to one another. I love uh, biblical theology. So um, piggybacking on that question and then uh, the previous question as well is, how do these things, how do the, the temple, the tabernacle, and the Garden of Eden, how do these lead us to Christ, and how do they point us to Christ and are there for us to see Christ in them? Sure. Um, you know, the key biblical passage that people would want to latch on to would be the John 1.14 text where uh, after the, the gospel writer John uh, tells us that the word was eternal and with God was God. There's that wonderful language of, uh, you know, he's of the same essence. You know, he's, he's, uh, he was God, but there's also distinction. You know, he's the son of the father. So there's the, the with God. Um, uh, and he has, as John 1.14 says, that eternal word who made all things and through whom all things came to be, uh, he was made flesh uh, and, uh, and dwelt among us. And, uh, you know, scholars like to point out that uh, the language of that, that verb there, dwelt among us, is the, the same verb that's used in the Old Testament, the Greek Old Testament, uh, as it was translated from Hebrew to Greek, uh, that that's the word that's used to describe God dwelling in the tabernacle. So sometimes people, uh, you know, sort of verbalize that as you know, and the word uh, tabernacled uh, among us. So it's that language of the presence of God uh, in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, so you know that that big idea, and then you know how does that point people back, you know, thousands of years before towards Christ. So again, uh, you have, you know, the fact that God can be present, uh, and he can be present in uh, tangible, relatable ways, so there's a tent and, and so forth. Um, 
but also that he God must be accessed through sacrifice. Uh, God uh, is, is holy, and so our sins must be dealt with. And so you see that picture, obviously, fulfilled in Jesus, uh, in his life, death, and resurrection. So, um, you know, and the, and the scriptures point us uh, to him in terms of being uh, God in flesh, uh, in whom, you know, all the Godhead dwells bodily, as, as Paul says. So, yeah, that would be kind of a quick little summary sketch of, you know, how these things point us forward to Jesus. Lots, lots of details, but those would be the big ideas. One final question, and then we'll get to uh, some fun questions we'll toss in there as well. But on a practical level, what, why does the temple, or understanding the temple and its relation to the tabernacle uh, and uh, the Garden of Eden, why does that matter for believers? Uh, like, for example, uh, is it significant in the fact that God does de- desire to know his people and be uh, amongst his people? Uh, why does the temple here to teach us things like that, or what is its purpose for that? Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, you know, there's there's various things in the tabernacle itself. So for the ancient people, um, you know, God communicated his, Himself to them uh, in a way that was appropriate for that particular place and time in the history of God's dealing uh, with His people. Um, so again, you know, there's tangible sacrifice. Uh, prayer was symbolized by incense. Um, and so forth. You know, there 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 was uh, certain sacrifices that were burnt up. Uh, some parts of those at times were eaten by the priests, and sometimes even uh, some parts of the animal was given to uh, were given back to the people. Uh, so there's that 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 very personal, intimate, uh, uh, very tangible, you know, meal that's going on. They're eating there in God's presence together. God's eating you know, so to speak, as the, as the fire consumes, the priests are eating, the people are eating. Um, so, you know, just the practicality, even then, was there There was communion with God. There was fellowship with God. Um, obviously, things were limited, and there were uh, barriers to that, because there were priests and there were people. Uh, there were curtains that divided, you know, different kinds of people's even amongst the priests themselves, only the one high priest can go beyond that second curtain. Um, but there is access, there's limited access, there is access uh, to them, so they could, they could sacrifice, they could pray, they could meet with God, he could meet with them in fellowship, and obviously all that is, you know, just sort of explodes, you know, onto the scene in the person of Jesus, where now God is, you know, in flesh, as, as John says, uh, God uh, and man joined together in the person of Christ, uh, walking and talking and eating, uh, living among his people. Um, and so now, you know, as he's ascended into heaven, uh, you know, it's not as if, you know, he's sort of left us and there's no access again. No, he's still present with us. He tells us by the Spirit, who's the other helper, the other comforter. And so when we gather together uh, as God's people for worship, for prayer, uh, to hear the word, it's in the presence of the Lord himself by the means of his word uh, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So, you know, when people ask me, like, that question of what's the practicality of, you know, learning the tabernacle, it's to learn that you as a believer uh, in Jesus Christ still have 
uh, access, but it's a greater access. It's a greater presence. It's a more uh, full and more personal uh, experience of the fellowship of God, more than you know your forefathers and foremothers had. Uh, we think of them as having so much more than us because they had fire and glory and you know sort of tangible stuff, but we have it so much better uh, because we have all that in its reality in Christ, and we have it now in our hearts as a down payment by the power of the Holy Spirit. I always have, uh, whenever people ask me the question um, of, you know, why did God allow uh, the serpent into the garden? If, you know, if he's a good God, why would he even allow the possibility of it? And I always uh, try to explain to him, I was like, you can't judge the beginning of the story without knowing the whole thing. And I'm like, we are now in a greater place than Adam and Eve were for the fact that, yes, they could walk and talk with God, but now we're in union with God. Uh, we're yep. united to him through Christ, and uh, we're in a greater position. So you can't really judge the book by the beginning without knowing the whole story. It's a yeah. divine narrative where he's bringing us back into his presence, um, not as slaves, uh, not as servants, but as uh, uh, fellow heirs with Christ. Yeah, yeah. And people, you know, people hear language in the New Testament that seems, you know, so outlandish that, uh, as Paul says, uh, you know, that we have already been raised with Christ and that we are already at, seated with him at the right hand of God. It just sounds so ridiculous because, you know, I don't see that. I don't feel that. You know, you don't know what's going on in my life. But the reality is, you know, that's the distinction, of course, between this age and age to come and faith and sight. And so, you know, to point to back to those wonderful promises of their identity and reality and the groundedness that we have, uh, the stability that we have in Christ. And, you know, because of that, there obviously should, you know, grows in us as we appreciate that, a, a more belonging to be with him. And so one day we will see him uh, face to face and we'll, you know, understand, you know, in, in, in the full experience, you know, wow, this is what it is to be, you know, at the right hand of God and seated with him. So we always try to toss in one or two fun questions about the people we're interviewing for our listeners. So whenever you're not writing, reading, uh, or actually, I guess, writing or reading or pastoring, what do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Uh, good question. <laughs> uh, well, here, here in uh, San Diego, we go to the beach. So uh, I have four kids. And so, you know, we spend a lot of time at the beach. With our kids, uh, boogie board, surf, body surf, um, yeah, that's probably like our, our kind of go-to thing. Uh, you know, we play a lot of sports, basketball, and so forth. But uh, yeah, the beach is probably kind of the hub of our of our uh, our just sort of normal life enjoyment. Uh, but also, you know, it's to get away from all the stress and all the all the burden. So yeah, the beach. People say that when you live at the beach, that you get bored of it. Is that the case? Oh, no way. No way. <laughs> I have to, oh, every week I have to get down to the, to the beach, somewhere close, you know, to the water. I can just, I can smell the salt. Uh, I can sand between my toes. Uh, yeah. I mean, when it's sunny outside 350 days a year, uh, yeah, it's, it never gets old. I mean, it never gets old. <laughs> and I grew up, I grew up here, so. Uh, yeah, and I've been called away many times, you know, to other places, and uh, every time, you know, I guess the Lord wants me to live on the beach. It's <laughs> <laughs> a, a rough, uh, rough life. So. <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. Well, someone's gonna do it. 
One more question, fun question for you. Uh, we always try to toss this one in as well. Is uh, who are some of your favorite writers? Whether it be theology, church history, fiction, um, just who do you enjoy reading when you have a chance? Yeah, um, obviously, you know, sort of the go-to people. Um, when I first started learning about Reformation, uh, the first writer that I started reading was C. H. Spurgeon. Um, so you know, even though I'm not, even though I'm not a I'm not a Baptist uh, uh, now, but uh, you know his his preaching, uh, you know the sermons that were transcribed, and even his writings, uh, still just uh, you know to remember, you know what, sort of where I come from and how I got my start in uh, Reformed uh, theology. So Spurgeon, uh, even you know still it's just uh, yeah he's, he's always uh, just very clear, powerful person to read, uh, you know, Calvin, John Calvin, obviously, um, was influential in my life, uh, earlier, um, yeah, for me, you know, also, uh, 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 John Owen, he's the subject of my, uh, in-process, uh, PhD, so, um, yeah, John Owen is, is, uh, always, uh, always, a you know, very, very, sometimes, sometimes, you know, sick and difficult, dense, but, um, always thoughtful and thought provoking. I don't agree with him on everything, but um you know, he's he's obviously a a, a big figure in the history of seventeenth century uh reform theology. So uh Owen and then, you know, uh you know, sort of leaving the, the heavy hitters behind. Um I like John Steinbeck uh for just for uh for non uh Christian reading uh novels and uh stories um so uh and then uh yeah i mean steinbeck kind of to me is always uh always a go-to uh and then uh since having kids just reading tons of books uh with my kids uh read most of uh jules verne's books so sort of sci-fi fiction uh genre which is always always fun and uh kind of interesting to see how a person writing so far so long ago envisioned the future and how uh, some of those things are, you know, reality today. Um, yeah, so those are a few of the writers that uh, have influenced me, but also that are just interesting and fun. Daniel, it's been an incredible joy to have you on the show. Thank you for your ministry and thank you for uh, your writing and for taking the time to be with us today. It's been a joy. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.